You're listening to North Bay Christ the King's weekly sermon podcast. In this week's message, Pastor Dan McAvoy shares wisdom on coping with the bad decisions in our lives. continue our series divine decisions and we've been been talking about how how god how we want to make great decisions but we want to make godly decisions yet there's many times we we don't make godly or even great decisions we come up short sometimes due to our own selfishness and let's just face it plain stupidity um we've had epic fail moments okay so I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to make you feel bad at your decision. In fact, I'm going to make you feel a little bit better by taking a look at some of these images here to make you feel better about if you made a dumb decision. Take a look at this one here. Okay, that's... Have you seen this before? How does that happen? Well, you're saying, well, the right hand and left hand should not know. They should know what they're doing. How did that happen? We're just, we're just off. Just off. Just a little bit there. How about this one? I like this one here. No, you can't. No, you can't make that. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I backed in. That RV did not make it over, you know, under the, the, the awning. So, okay, that happened. And then this one here I think is really funny. Okay, I'm not, if you've got ink on you and tattoos, great. Good for you. This is pretty permanent, okay? Make sure, like, someone proves. I'm not against tattoo artists. They, some of them are very educated, but make sure they get that right. That's hard to undo. And in our lives, it's kind of like that. Like certain things and decisions that we made, they're hard to do it over again. In fact, you can't do it over again. Some of you know, like you, you laugh at other people's mistakes. You cringe at your own. Not so brilliant moments. You have scars. You have medical records. You have actual footage to prove how dumb you were. Okay? Now, some of the real big decisions, the bad decisions we made, let's just be honest, we can laugh about some of the big dumb ones, but there's some bad decisions that we have deep regret about, don't we? The, the, the one bad decision that sabotaged our career, the one bad decision that's devastated a person we love, the one bad decision we didn't make that was missed opportunities that we kick ourselves, that we should have, we could have, if I could do it over. That one bad decision that compromised our integrity and destroyed our credibility. These are decisions that we have made. We can't undo. We have to live with it. Now, not only the bad decisions we have made, but there's bad decisions that were made with us or to us or around us that affected us. A parent, mom or dad, walked out on on your family. A friend that betrayed your trust. A child that turned away from your care of them. A spouse who violated your marital covenant and had an affair. Really, really bad decisions that never, ever could be undone. You did it. They did it. It's the way it is. We live with it. Great. What do we do now? That's the key to this that we're going to talk about today. What do we do? All that's happened to us, all that that we have done... Not so great, bad decisions. What do we do with them? What do we do with the bad decision? Well, I'll tell you, it all depends on how you respond to them. Now, well-meaning people with really good intentions will come along and they will innocently, let's just say ignorantly come along and they'll they'll say things like this. You know, you've heard this before. Like when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Yeah. Right? People, they add that with it, right? When, when, when God shuts the door, what does he do? He opens it, 
God's window. Oh, precious. That's so precious when people say that to us. And how about this one? When life gives you lemons, what do you do? You make lemonade. And you just want to pop them in the nose. Don't you? When you hear that. I do. Listen. People have great intentions, good intentions to help you feel better. They don't know what to say, so they say stupid stuff like that. They don't know what you're going through. Nobody really knows what you're going through on a human level. See, I found this, and this is not excuse people saying those kind of things to us. But what I found this has helped me is this. People that are farther away from my situation have a simpler solution to my life. Well, let me tell you what you need to do, right? But when situations and problems are up close, they're much more complex. Regardless of the bad decisions you have made or others made, here's the thing. We all have to cope. We all have to move on. We all have to gain a greater perspective. And most importantly, if you're a follower of Christ here today, many of you are, we must get God's perspective. I believe this to be true, and I I see it in my life and the lives of other people. And this is really my heart and prayer for all of us here this morning, is this. About making the best of a bad decision directly affects how we see God's redemption. How we, okay, how we make the best of a bad decision directly affects that we see God's redemption. What does that truly look like? Meaning, no matter what has been done or what we have done, God has a greater purpose. And this sounds like a bumper sticker and like those other ones on the list. But I really believe this is true. Is God never wastes a hurt. That God wants to use whatever you've gone through, whatever you face, He wants to do a greater work because of it, in spite of it. And, and there's, a, there's a redemption factor that's involved. And I can't think of a better example of a person making the best of a bad decision that we're going to look at this morning is in the life of Joseph. The account of Joseph, you, you could call an epic drama. That it was, it's hard to believe that one man could go through su- such a thing. Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 is a story of the life of Joseph. And there's little stories in between, but the bulk of those chapters have to do with the life of one man. And you can read through basically a string of one bad decision after the other. Decisions that he has made, but decisions were made towards him. If you don't know the life of Joseph, let me just walk us down memory lane here for a few minutes, and then we'll come to understand, how do we, how do we make the best of a bad decision? Joseph was the, the youngest of 11 brothers. They were all actually half-brothers. Uh, some of you can relate. You, you're part of a blended family. You know what that's like. Uh, what, what we found is that it was rough for Joseph because Jacob, his dad, saw Joseph as his favorite child. And the reason for that is Jacob, or sorry, jo, uh, Joseph's mother was Rachel, and that was his beloved wife. Back in the day, he had multiple, he had multiple wives, and Rachel was his favorite, and therefore Joseph was his favorite. Now, Jacob didn't trust his other sons too well at all, and so he sent the kid brother, the youngest, to go out to the field and check up on the brothers. And so he would come back and Joseph would, would basically, you know, narc on him. Remember that word back when we were kids? Some of you remember? Narc or tattle. We go back and say, hey, you, you know, the, the, the brothers, they're not doing much work. They're slacking. Man, that really, really ticked off the brothers when they got, they, they got you know, basically told on. Well, make matters worse. 
Jacob had this bright idea, and this is like the bad decision. He decides because he sees Joseph, such a favorite kid. You know what he's gonna, he does? He brings the whole family together, and he says, hey, I want everybody to come over here. I, I made something for you, Joseph. Since you're my favorite child, open this. It opens the box, and it's a beautiful multicolored jacket. And he puts it on him because you're my favorite son. Uh, can you imagine what those other brothers were feeling? And he's like, dad, that's a bad thing to do. I'm really going to get it for this. Now, have you ever been the favorite to wish you were the favorite? Some of you are like, yeah, I know someone in my family is the favorite. Now, I don't know if your parents were that blatant, but some of you experience subtle comments like, why can't you be more like your brother who's got straight A's? Why can't you be more like your sister who's the star athlete? Well, this didn't help Joseph at all. Scripture says when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. It could not speak a kind word to him. He's now blackballed big time. And to make matters worse, Joseph himself makes a really, really bad decision. This is a, this is a stuff you shouldn't always say, but he does. He had a, he had a dream. Sometimes you don't always just share your dreams. He had a dream, and the dream was this, that his entire family one day will bow down to him. One day. Yeah, it almost sounds like a kid brother dream. Like, you guys, you guys are teasing me all the time and everything. One day, you guys are all going to work for me. You guys are all going to bow down. He doesn't have that attitude at all. He really, just out of his innocence and, and really naivety, um, he just... He tells them, hey, you guys, want, I got this dream. It just happened. I don't know what to do with it. His brothers say to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. You read this and go, Joe, buddy, you really are on the outs with these brothers. I mean, really, honestly, do you want to tell them you're going to be the boss one day? That's a dumb thing to do. It's a bad decision that will end up, as we're going to look here in a moment, cost him greatly. Now, have you ever overshared a life ambition? You ever got together with some family or friends? You're like, man, I'm in this life. I'm going to do this. It's going to be, and people are like, yeah, right. You know, or matters worse, if they're not negative toward you, you're like, they don't even care. And you're like, oh, I'm so, I wish no one is just celebrating my dream I have. And yet, Timing is always important. And Joseph's timing was not great. And it builds tension with his brothers. After he shares this dream, the Bible says they become, as scripture says, extremely jealous of him. And, and maybe you grew up, you had older siblings that tormented you. Maybe you teased them and they're going like, I'm going to kill you, right? Literally, that was the plan. These brothers were plotting to kill Joseph. Remember, he goes out to the field and, and he goes, checks on him, come back. And, and along the way, they see him on a the distance. They're going, here comes that dreamer. Let's take him out. Let's get him. Yeah, right? They're all ganging up. They're ready to do something. Well, Reuben, the oldest, stops their plot. Not that he had a lot of love for Joseph. He's going, guys, that's a bad idea. We're going to get, we're going to get really, dad is not going to be happy if we kill his favorite son. Not a good idea. So what do we do? Well, they end up throwing him in the cestering water where they store water. And they're like, hmm, what should we do? Hmm, can't kill him because we can't, can't, you know, 
But we gotta, what are we going to do? What are we going to figure it out? And along the way, as they're thinking about it, there's this caravan. These kinda, it's kind of like a shopping market goes by. The Ishlonites, they're, they're selling and trading with people. They're like, ooh, I wonder if the Ishlonites would like to trade for that. And so they end up selling their brother. Now, again, when you were a kid, some of you, you thought about that, selling your little brother or sister. They literally did that, Okay. So now the guy's gone, and all they have left is this fancy coat. Well, what are we going to do with it? What are they? They ripped it up. They put some animal blood on it, and they took it to the, their father, Jacob. And the Bible says this about, this is what Jacob says as he heard the loss of his son. I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And jo- Joseph, re- or, sorry, Jacob, the rest of his life, lives in this grief, all of a plot, all of a lie that the brothers did. And Joseph is now sold as a slave. He's then resold to a guy named Potiphar, the captain of, of an Egyptian, as an Egyptian guard. And it's interesting, the Bible says that this in chapter 39. You're going to see a pattern here as we read this, these different sections. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Imagine, in the midst of the betrayal and all the pain, God blesses Joseph. God, the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, why? Why is that? Why is that? Why is Joseph unique in this story? Well, it has everything to do with making the best of a bad decision that we're going to get to here in a moment. But what encouragement, don't you think? For all of us, in spite of all that we've gone through. I don't know if you, you were sold as a slave. I don't know if you went through abuse. I don't know if you went through anything else in your life. But what was it that brought you to the place to know that the Lord, that the Lord is with you, despite all that you've gone through, and that we could actually make the best of a bad decision? I'm going to help answer that here in a moment. But here comes, here's Joseph. All he's gone through, all the bad decisions that have affected him, it gets even worse. Joseph is minding his own business. Potiphar, again, who, who, his boss, it totally trusts him with his household. He takes off. And during that time, the Potiphar's wife, let's see, she had the hots for Joseph, okay? Strapping young man. And she tried at times to seduce him. And the Bible says it was ongoing, trying to pull him in. Come to bed with you. Come with me. And one day, it's just the two of them, she grabs hold of his coat. Stupid coats. It's getting him in trouble. He grabs, she grabs his cloak and pulls it away. He runs out. And now, There's a situation. She has this. What does she do? She goes to her husband and plots with this lie and says, he tried to rape me. He tried to hurt me. Look, I have proof of his his coat. I'm like, Joseph, you got to get rid of these coats. I mean, this is is not good. This is getting you trouble. Well, of course, the boss believes his own wife. Joseph is thrown into prison. And we find it interesting, the end of chapter 39, a pattern again. It says, when Joseph was there, now in prison... 
Here it is again. The Lord was with him. He he showed him kindness and and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put put Joseph in charge of all that held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Here he is. Again, falsely accused, thrown into prison. He's now getting favor. He's put in charge and and he becomes a person that people can trust. Why? Why would Joseph have this, this esteem and this favor from God and from the people around? Because he made the best of a bad decision. Joseph is in prison for several years. But what is interesting is scripture talks about, again, he's put in charge. He then, God gives him this gift, this ability to interpret dreams. And you can read the stories and how that all happens. Well, one man who was in the prison now is let out. He's then in charge or involved in Pharaoh's palace, the king of Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh because Pharaoh, what was happening was he was getting this reoccurring dream. And the dream was this, is that you're going to have seven years of, uh, you're going to have seven, uh, sorry, seven fatted and seven skinny cows and seven stalks of wheat and, and with heads and seven without. This was this dream over and over. He sees seven fat calves. He sees seven skinny calves. He sees seven uh, stalks of wheat that have uh, stalks with wheat and then seven dozen. He see, hears this over, sees this over and over. So, what does it mean? And so he asks Joseph, Joseph, I heard you're really good at interpreting dreams. You know what Joseph's response is? Nope, I'm not, but God is. Pharaoh, what it means is that you have seven years of abundance and you'll have seven years of famine following. You better stock up. Pharaoh's reaction is a reminder to us of this and and is is so amazing. You need to understand, he is polytheistic. I mean, Egyptians, right? They believe in sun gods and moon gods and all this. And here he gives gives allegiance to the Lord God. Where it says, Pharaoh asks him, can we find anyone like this man? One whom is the spirit of God? They Uh, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be put in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne, I will be greater than you. Here's again, another example. Even to unbelievers that recognize Joseph and who he is person he can trust, person they can rely upon, favor with God. Why? Because he made the best of a bad decision. We fast forward seven years later, Joseph's job is to help the, the empire of, of Egypt stock up and they stock up and it pays off. The forecasted drought comes and seven years of famine take place because there's no water. And scripture says that neighboring nations come and beg Egypt for help. They're, they're selling their abundance at a very high price. And they become very powerful. But not on top of that, Joseph becomes very, very powerful himself. But here's the irony of the whole story. Some of you know the story here is that guess who's in the lineup? The brothers. They're in the lineup wanting help. And, and as they're lined up and seeing Joseph, they didn't recognize him because he's full grown. They didn't recognize their kid brother. But guess who recognized them? Joseph did. He knew exactly who 
they were. Now listen, if anybody had a right to take revenge, if anybody had a right to stick it to them, to really hate them, where they were jealous of and plotted to kill them, who really caused his life a living hell of slavery and torment and imprisonment, it would be Joseph. But what does he do? He forgives them. Really? He really forgives them. And not only that, he provides for them and their children for future generations. How could Joseph respond this way? How could he forgive them? But actually, not only top of that, becomes generous to them. I mean, it's one that they go, all right, you guys, I'm fine, let you go. But he ends up doing this. He pours out an abundance to them. And he does this because Joseph, despite all the setbacks out of his life, all the suffering experience, he does this. In everything, Joseph made the best of a bad decision, believing God can do a work and do a redemption that we're going to look at here in the moment. We can easily look at Joseph's life and go, that's not fair. Why would one person go through all that? Why would, he, why would God even allow that to take place? And here's the thing. It's very interesting. If we look at Joseph's life, if you scan through Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50, where Joseph is, is mentioned and the story and his life and what he said and what he did and what he really even what was recorded of his thoughts, I can't find anywhere that Joseph had any root of bitterness, any place where it's shown that he was holding a grudge and unforgiveness toward his brothers. Can't find it. If anybody had the power to act, he did. Why? I think it's this. He never let his heart get to that place. All because all that he experienced being hated and betrayed and being falsely accused and being imprisoned. If, if not, you know, physically, emotionally, think of all that he went through. And you are, you are here today, possibly. You think, well, I can relate a little bit with Joseph. Maybe not all of the experience, but you've been hated and betrayed by your family. You've been falsely accused. You've been in prison. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. You've experienced abuse and neglect and pain and setbacks. And some of you, you're here today, and let's just face it, you have allowed it to affect you. Right now, your mental, emotional, and spiritual condition is a reflection of, of how you handle the hurt that's harbored in your heart. See, our hearts are like a GPS. It's filled with God's Spirit, and when it is, we're guided into his, in, in, in by His grace, and it's, it, it directs us toward where we go and what He has for us. But if we allow our hurt to guide us, our heart that's hurt to guide us, it will cause us pain and self-afflicted destruction. Listen, can I just be real? Let's just be real, real on this. There's nothing you can do with what happened to you. It has everything to do how you are going to handle what has been done to you. How will you and I make the best of a bad decision in order for God to redeem, to redeem it? God may not remedy your situation, but he is in the business of redeeming it. But how do we do that? Well, we look at Joseph's model. We look as we wrap up. I want to just give some closing thoughts. 
to take us to making the best of the bad decision. The first is this, making it practical here. How God always has been there even when we have not recognized it. When we make the best of a bad decision, it's recognizing that God has always been there. When, when, when God, you know, you, you think about your life and what you've experienced, like, how, where was God? Where was God when I was abused or a loved one was abused or harmed? or what, Where was God in the situation? Where was he? And the recogniz- it's recognizing this, that he was always with us. Despite all that we've gone through, for, for Joseph, all that happened to him when he was a slave, when he was in prison, when he was before Pharaoh, the Bible says the Lord was with him. You see, just like Joseph, when we recognize God's presence in our lives, no matter what we've gone through, it gives us something we we can't buy, you can't earn. It's hope. It's hope. I remember a moment, a low point in my life, a moment where it was about just over seven years ago. My mom is struggling for her life in an operating room, and I remember hearing on the intercom, cold blue, cold blue, cold blue, cold blue. And it was cath lab one over and over hearing this. this I knew where, that was her. And that, what that means is everybody rushes to try to keep her life going. And I remember walking down this long corridor and it was, ironically, it was, it was a really bright, had sun, uh, skylights, but it felt like it was the darkest moment of my life. And I remember the scripture, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you were with me. You and I, there's, the, there's those dark quarters of our life, those moments, knowing that God is with us. More than that, so powerful to know is that God is for us. That God is for us. See, God grants favor to those who acknowledge his goodness. God grants favor to those who acknowledge his goodness. As we read and realize that scripture says multiple times, the Lord granted Joseph favor. When he was a slave to Potiphar, God showed favor and promoted him. When he was was in prison, God showed favor and he was put in charge. Before Pharaoh, he was made second command of the entire Egyptian empire. Why? Because of this. Joseph did not harbor hatred. He didn't let his terrible circumstances circumvent his life. God gave him favor because his heart was filled with goodness, not harboring bitterness. I don't know about you, but I've never ran into anybody who has been promoted in life with a cruddy and complaining attitude. Have you? In your workplace, have you worked with somebody? They always complain. They're always putting people down. They're always, they, they hate their job. No, there's not a lot of people that go, well, I think that's a boss is going, I think we should promote this person. They're just a wonderful person. No, I've never seen that in life. And I honestly say, I've never seen God really show favor to people that harbor bitterness and anger in their life. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in my life. It's a reminder to us that God wants, yes, he wants to bless our lives, but it's more than power and popularity and material possessions per se, possessions. It's really, he wants to give us favor, but it's, it's until our hearts are right, until we're freed from the grudges that we hold. So I don't know where you're at, but are you harboring bitterness? If you are, can I challenge you in a way that... You know, we, we look out here and we see the harbor. We see the bay. 
And I think many times our lives are like that, our hearts are like that, that harbor. We harbor bitterness. There's ships, there's harbored unforgiveness, there's pain. Those ships, those little boats in our, in our harbor of our heart, they're different circumstances, there's different people. And can I challenge you today, can I encourage you today, if you want to walk in greater favor with God, if you want to walk in greater place and freedom in your life, it's, it's pulling anchor, pulling anchor, pulling anchor, and letting those ships go. Not harboring bitterness, unforgiveness any longer. And you know what happens when we do? This is what's amazing. Forgiveness flows more easily through healthy hearts. Forgiveness flows more easily through healthy hearts. When it's time to forgive his brothers, Joseph did. How could he do this? Despite all the all years of slavery and suffering, he never harbored bitterness. Can I remind us again? I don't see it recorded of Joseph's life. I don't see how he held any grudges. There's not one place it's there. When it came to time, he might have wrestled a bit with the choice, but it probably became easier for him because he didn't allow that bitterness to be deep-seated in him year after year after year. And I find with grudges are that way. It's not that you hold grudges towards someone all those years, though you do. That's one particular person. But what happens is they did this to you, and then there's another person that did this to you, and that person over here in this circumstance and this circumstance, and it just builds. And it's like sediment in our hearts, and it grows and it grows and it grows. And you're just waiting for the next person to mess, this, mess you over. Joseph did not have that in his life. Can I tell you, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of bad decisions. There's one thing, and though it was hard for me to do, there was one thing I had to do was forgive my stepfather for the abuse that he caused when I was a teenager. And I tell you, it took a few years. I came to faith in Christ. I had to face it. If I really wanted to walk in freedom and forgiveness that God wants to give me, I had to let that go. And I tell you, it took me years. But it wasn't until my early, you know, 20s that I finally was able to do that. But guess what? Now another 20 years later, I don't have any regrets. I've let that go. And I've learned something about forgiveness. It's a process. And you're thinking, well, how do you, how do you come with that? It's a process because Jesus gave us a prayer to pray in the process of forgiving. He, it's a part of the Lord's prayer. In fact, we're called to pray it every day as a, as a daily prayer. It's this, forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That's a prayer that Jesus gave us. And it's an ongoing prayer that we can pray daily. Because let's, let's face it, some days we wake up and we're like, we let that person go, we forgave him. And then one day we're just like, just like it comes over us. No, Lord, I'm going to forgive them. God help me to forgive them. And it's a process that we go through. But when we're doing that, our hearts are getting cleaner. Our hearts are getting purer. Our hearts are getting in place that we're not harboring bitterness any longer in our lives. It's for us to courageously ask ourselves today, who am I harboring hurt toward that I need to forgive? Who is it? What is it that I need to let go? And let's just face it. It might not just be a human being. It might be God himself that we have to forgive. To let go. I tell you, you don't just do it for them. You're doing it for yourself to experience this greater freedom in your life. For finally, know this. Making the best of a bad decision, you know what it is? It's how we handle the hurt will help us see the greater good. How we handle the hurt will help us see the greater good. That was the heart of Joseph, whose brothers were before him, wondering how he was going to respond. And the suffering that, that they have caused. Look at Genesis 
50, 15, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we've done? See, Joseph now, his, brother, his, his father's dead, right? That, there's no more leverage these guys have, right? So verse 18, it says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Here he was, a man of power. Here, here he was having the status Let's not forget the dream that he had many years ago. What was that dream as a kid? You guys are going to bow down before me. And these guys are going, oh my gosh, it has come true. The prophecy came true. If there was anybody who had the opportunity to really stick it to him was Joseph. Here's this moment. In fact, there's something within us all to go, Joseph, this is your shot, dude. You can get him. Stick it to him. Do it. You can do it. You got all the power. You can really annihilate your brothers. You got this chance. Look what all they've done to you. They threw you in this pit and then they sold you as a slave and you, you lived and you were betrayed and you were in prison and you, you were just messed over. Do it. All hell would want Joseph to do that. God had another plan. Why? Because Joseph made the best of a bad decision. He did not allow the hurt to harbor in his heart. And this is what it says. Joseph says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You had intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is being done. The saving of many lives. Did you catch that? The saving of many lives. Joseph recognized, despite the pain that he was going through, that he had the, he had the power to seek revenge, but he recognized that was not his job. It's God's job. God, if God needs to get anybody, it's his job to get it. That's not what I do. Did he forget what his brothers did to him? No. What did he say? Hey, you intended to harm me. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. You, you intended to hurt me. But God had a bigger plan. God had something greater that he wanted to accomplish. And you know what it did? It saved many, many lives. All those people would have died in the famine. But Joseph, God used not only to save his own family, but to save the entire nation of Israel. What a powerful statement to live by. What you, what others are meant to harm me, God made is going to make good. To accomplish what needs to be done to save many lives. Our life included. See, the life that God has for you is a life of freedom and forgiveness. It's a life that you can live. It's a life that saves many other lives because when we have life in us, we can give life. When we're harboring bitterness, we pass that bitterness on and it leads to death. God wants to take whatever was terrible, what was horrible in this situation. God used it and redeemed it and saved a whole nation because of it. He wants to do the same in our lives. As our team comes, I want to ask this question as we pray. What is a bad decision that God wants to redeem in your life? What is it? What is it? What is a bad decision? Is it something that you have done? But... But you can say, God, I, this is horrible. It's what I've done and I've chosen. Lord, forgive me. But God, I want to, God, will you use it to redeem it, to do something with it, God? I know you can do that. That might be your prayer today. But you know what? It also, 
for many of us, it might be just the fact that all that's happened to us, all the pain and hurt that others have done to us, God wants to use. Now, all the suffering, all the difficult challenges we have faced, God wants to make it good and accomplish greater work to save many lives. So I met, I've met two types of people that are old. Bitter old people and happy old people. Which one do you want to be? I've seen people harbor unforgiveness in their life for decades. Grudges they've held for decades. I've, either, I've seen them go to an early grave. I've just seen them just suffer and rot away in just miserable existence. I don't want to do that. I love being around older people, elderly people, in fact, that are filled with such life because they've learned how to forgive. They learn not to harbor any grudges, any bitterness. They've let it go. They let it go. Has stuff happened to them? Of course, just like all of us. They've been hurt. They've been betrayed. They've, been, they've, been, they've maybe been, felt like they've been sell, sold out. They've suffered so much in their life and what people have done to them. But they have the ability to let it go because they made the best of a, of a bad decision. And it comes down to this. To let go of grudges is really trusting God's goodness. That God is good and he will make good. Eventually he has a plan and a purpose and a greater work that he wants to accomplish. We can't see it all yet. And much of it we might not even see till heaven. But the goal is to save many lives, including our own today. And that's exactly that work that was accomplished. The greater work to save many was the work of Jesus. Jesus is the one that made ultimately the best of a bad decision. When Adam and Eve sinned, that was a really bad decision and affected all of humanity. And Jesus came and says, I'm going to take what was negative. I'm going to take what was meant to harm and bring evil. I'm going to make good on it. And I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to take care of that pain, the suffering, everything for all of mankind to redeem it. And in that redemption, you and I can live as Jesus did that for us we have the opportunity to see and seize the opportunities of redemption that are all around us despite all that we've gone through and all that we've faced will you let him do that work in you today it's your choice